Park Hopping Podcast number 22. Another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, the podcast that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that, yep, anyone can have their own podcast, or two, or three, they're small. Oh, goodness. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, we used that Park Hopping Pass and went back and forth between Florida and California, talking a little bit about Walt Disney and sequels as we experienced Snow White's scary adventure at both Magic Kingdoms. Now, since then, Steve in England has sent me an audio ride-through that he taped in August 2005 of the Snow White's adventure at Disneyland Paris, so I'm going to try to put that into a podcast coming up very soon. It's very interesting because it's very similar, sounds like the ending scenes are different, and it's in French. Go figure. So that's something to look forward to or fast forward through if you're not a big fan of the Fantasyland Dark Ride. Now, as you know, on the internet, anything's possible, and the park hopping pass that we have in podcast land enables us to teleport instantly to any Disney park in the world. I've only spent my time in Florida and California, but I have had a little bit of fun going back in time to play some audio from some extinct Disney World and Disneyland attractions. Today's going to be one of those, because today's subject is going to take us back to November 25th, 1996. Does that date mean anything to you? Well, it really didn't to me, because I'm terrible with dates. Just ask my uh, social scheduler back in high school. Anyway, that's the day Disneyland's Main Street Electrical Parade made its way down that parade route one last time. And it's kind of strange looking back at just how amazing some wire-framed industrial Christmas tree lights and 1970s synthesizer music could be. Now, that parade did go through a few changes over the years, probably a whole lot of light bulbs, too. And when I first visited Disneyland with my parents, we took home a Disneyland LP which uh, I think featured a picture of the parade on the cover. Now, I had a version of the theme music on that record that contained the Mickey Mouse Club music at the end of the parade. Now, I don't know if this means I was actually at the park before they changed out the ending floats for the patriotic finale um, in 1976, or if it just means Disney in the 70s was a lot like Disney today, selling outdated souvenirs that featured soundtracks from changed or closed attractions. Well, either way, that vinyl album contained one of my favorite pieces of music as a child, the theme song to Disneyland's Main Street Electrical Parade. And I'm not really sure why I liked it so much. I guess I just kind of liked the whole concept of synthesizers. I got my first musical keyboard around 1985, and then my first synthesizer um, a year or two later. Back then, a synthesizer still sounded like a synthesizer, um, just like the music from the Main Street Electrical Parade. When I, when I started visiting Disneyland again in 95, I didn't go out of my way to watch any shows or parades since I was so busy trying to get, get, uh, get on all the rides. Um, but it seemed that any time I was nearby and I heard that music traveling down Main Street, I just had to go stop and, and check it out for a bit. It's the same thing that happened to me on visits to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. It's just something about that music. Now, here's something strange. I had read on a Disney Park news group, uh, think, think of that as a message board from before we had the web. Anyway, I read there that there was a new CD being released with the longest version of the Main Street Electrical Parade theme music that had ever been released, and I had to have it. I found out that all you have to do is call up Disneyland and you can order pretty much anything they have. Um, in this case, I actually called the Disneyland Hotel gift shop 
And a short time later, I had a nice bubble envelope in my hands, and inside was the soundtrack from something called Phantasmic at Disneyland. I'd never seen Phantasmic. I heard it was good, but, you know, I just don't have time for shows when there's so many rides to go on. Now, the reason I had this CD was because it also contained the electrical parade music. And it was, indeed, the longest version of the music I'd ever heard, including so many more of the sections that were not found on the much shorter versions released on that old record of mine, or on any other soundtrack album I'd purchased on cassette or CD from Disney World over the years. Now, maybe this was the start of Disney realizing there were a lot of us diehard superfans out here that wanted more than just the typical 60-second loop of Pirates or The Haunted Mansion. Well, whatever the reason, I was glad to have it, and I bought a few more soundtracks since then, including at long last a disc that was specifically the Main Street Electrical Parade soundtrack. Now, did you ever think about how many different intros for that parade they did over the years? I think a podcast with all this parade and its history would be a lot of fun. Hey, maybe we can talk to Paul or Patrick over at windowtothemagic.com and have them do one for us. Hmm. Well, if you were thinking that this episode was actually about that parade, I'm sorry to have misled you. I just wanted to set up a bit about how fondly most of us look back on this parade. I do know a few folks who can't stand it. You know, cheesy Christmas tree lights, 1970s synthesizer music, you know, just may not be their thing. But when Disney announced that this parade was glowing away for good in 1996, the park saw record-breaking crowds. Um, there were special tickets sold for the official last showing of the parade, and I bought one of them, even though I knew there was no way I could possibly be there to see it. And if I remember correctly, the massive popularity of this farewell season caused Disneyland to extend the run a bit longer, meaning my ticket wasn't actually for the final parade after all. I wonder what they did there. Well, I still have it somewhere in a box full of Disney stuff down in the basement, and I should probably go through that thing sometime and see what else is there. But I digress, because today on the Park Hopping Podcast, I'm going to continue the subject of sequels and talk about what was to come after the Main Street Electrical Parade. All we knew back then was that it was going to be new, amazing, have a show featuring state-of-the-art special effects, and uh, they even teased us with fiber-optic signs installed above each train station tunnel that you'd see going out towards the exit. And the sign simply read, Light Magic, with a small outline of Tinkerbell flying over it, and it all sparkled with fiber-optics and stuff. But, you know, could anything live up to the reputation that the former parade had generated over the past 24 years? Well, maybe, but it wasn't going to be Light Magic. Light Magic only ran for about three months, four or five months, something in there, just over the summer of 1997. Light Magic, well, the first thing that was different, it wasn't going to be a traditional parade to replace the Main Street Parade. It was more of a show that would be performed on the parade route at various locations. They made the largest parade floats Disneyland had ever created, and each of them was tricked out with fiber optics and fog machines, projection screens, and all along Main Street, the windows of the upper walls were enhanced with fiber optics, and I can remember seeing the fuzzy awnings over some of the windows and looking up at them and saying, you know, gee, what are those little white hairs for? They uh, wired fiber optics to everything. Every awning, all the window shutters, everything. It was an amazing undertaking that they literally put fiber optics all over the upper walls of Main Street. This had to be something good. Well, since Main Street couldn't hold everyone who'd want to see the show, something that they found out with the fireworks um, display during the 50th anniversary, they, uh, shouldn't they have known this? Anyway, they created a new, um, a new viewing area in front of It's a Small World. Now, the ground was uh, rebuilt and terraced up like they'd done for phantasmic viewing in New Orleans Square. Um, and since there were no two-story buildings lining the area to jam with fiber optics, they built a series of these 
two story structures that are still kind of there's well they're still there today they're kind of big boxes on posts and these would hold fiber optics and projection and lighting equipment um, and since this was uh, constructed specifically for light magic it really wasn't as amazing to see the show from this area Main Street on the other hand was just really transformed when all the buildings lit up during the show I think it's kind of similar to how Fantasmic in Florida feels compared to the one in California in Florida you go into a big arena with lighting post and seating and people are walking around selling beer and you know you're about to see a show on that stage across the water but at Disneyland Tom Sawyer's Island in Frontierland is used for Fantasmic and during the day you can go over there and walk around the very building that at night is transformed into Fantasmic. So it's it's really amazing how they hide all the effects right over there in plain sight under you know barrels and panels that open up and stuff. Anyway, those fiber optics on Main Street were really amazing, and the ones in front of It's a Small World were just cool little buildings that lit up, I guess. So, Light Magic was a show that stopped on Main Street, and it also stopped at the new Small World viewing area. It featured a lot of Celtic-sounding music and Celtic-looking dancing, probably because of how popular Riverdance was at the time. Anyone remember Riverdance? They, they still make references to it at Billy Hill and the Hillbilly Show at Disneyland, so I guess some people do. But if Light Magic had lasted for 24 years, would the people in 2020 even get it? You know, So maybe it's better that the show didn't last, or we'd have to explain to our kids and grandkids just what the big deal was back with the Celtic Riverdance craze in the mid-90s. So, lightning. Uh, sorry, uh, light magic was going to be performed for the very first time at a private party for annual pass holders on May thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. And I got to attend these first uh, showings. Now, immediately afterwards, many of us wrote up reviews and posted them to the news groups or websites about what we thought. This may have been the very first time that the Internet killed a Disney attraction before it even had a chance to get fine-tuned. Because after the summer of 97, the show was supposed to go on hiatus and return at some point in the future. But what really happened was it went away and was buried. And now you don't even find references to it. Um, very often in any Disney publication that mentions other things from the past and, you know, parades that they used to have, but they don't really talk about light magic too much. Now, if you're wondering what brings light magic up today, it has to do with how small the Internet makes the world. Right after this preview party, someone posted a music file they created of the light magic theme song. And I'm not sure how this subject came up, but I was chatting with Scott of horseandrabbit.com and found out he was the one who made that MIDI file. Now, Scott used to run a beautiful website called Once Upon a Time in Anaheim, and it featured a lot of their custom music files and artwork and graphics for the various sections. It was just truly one of the, the prettiest um, Disneyland-specific sites I'd been on. Now, it turns out he was also the one who did a, a very popular MIDI file that circulated for another short-lived Disneyland attraction called Rocket Rods. And, and wait a second. Has Scott done any MIDI files for any other attractions that have gone away? It's probably just a coincidence. Well, finding out about this made me go back and look for something that I'd posted on my old personal website in May of 97 about Light Magic. The file was actually still there, but it hadn't been linked to any menus in years, and I'd completely forgotten about it. Once I found it, I thought, hey, instant park hopping podcast episode. So here it is, my optimistic write-up about what Light Magic was. Review of Disneyland's Light Magic Nighttime Spectacular at the 1997 Annual Passholders Party. Note, I am told that several key things were missing from the version of the show we saw. One float wasn't ready, one of the main show computers was out, half of the fiber optics were not installed, and many things just plain didn't work yet. 
this was reported to be the first full-through performance of Light Magic. So, with that said, read on. I have faith it will get better. Quotables. Quote, Only Disneyland could successfully get people to pay $25 to be a test audience. End quote. I was fortunate to attend the 1997 annual Passholders Party on May 13th. I didn't actually have a ticket. I didn't know I would be in California until the week before the event, and they were already sold out. So a friend and I roamed the massive lines of people camping out to get into the event looking for a spare ticket. A nice gentleman sold me one of his extras complete with the souvenir pin for $25, the price he paid for it. Only at Disneyland would a ticket scalper not make a profit. Okay, so he wasn't a scalper. The park was open until 7 p.m. on this Tuesday, then it would begin letting pass holders in at, at 8.30 p.m. for the event, which would run until 1.30 a.m. Events worth mentioning include Tony Baxter and other Imagineers at Tomorrowland showing off artwork and a miniature of the mural that will surround the Interventions building. Crowds cheered when the building began revolving for the first time in years. Also, Disney C2C at Carnation Plaza showed ad videos and artwork for Disney Cruise Lines, Epcot, Test Track, Animal Kingdom, and California Adventure. Imagineers were on hand here as well, claiming that the new dinosaurs there were going to be the best yet. We also were able to watch a special presentation by Feature Animations Department, which showed us clips of Lion King development, from still line art, rough traces, on up to the final product. Finally, the Taste of Disneyland in New Orleans Square offered samples of everything from sandwiches to gumbo for a fraction of normal park prices. Various Disney characters were roaming the park continuously. I was able to snag pictures with Alice and the Mad Hatter, Buzz Lightyear, and several others. Virtually all of the rides were going and had no lines. Live music was also everywhere and plenty of helpful cast members were on hand to answer questions about the feature of the night, the preview of Light Magic. Two showings were offered, so we headed near Small World for the first one, which never seemed to start. The very nice floats rolled out and just sat there as the same uneventful pre-song played over and over and over and over. After about 10 or 15 minutes, we gave up and decided to return when the bugs were worked out. Later, the show made its way to Main Street, and I watched. Large Lion King-style floats, very tall, with flowering designs and tree trunks parked in the middle of Main Street while colored spotlights danced around them, and a small amount of fiber optics made twinkling lights on the floats and also around Main Street windows. Nothing fancy. Every Disney character you could think of was scattered on the floats, but all they did was dance jigs to the Irish-sounding soundtrack with little to differentiate one number from the next. The music contained the scores from many recent Disney features, and about the only time the crowd responded was when the part of the Main Street Electricals Parade Baroque Hoedown was heard. If this doesn't sound like much of a review, it's because it really isn't much of a show. After the parade, I didn't hear one positive thing about it. The additions I was told to expect included more fiber optics and one more float. Considering that all the floats they had looked alike to me, I'm wondering if the missing float is any different. The only really interesting thing about the floats was seeing onboard lighting, computer controlled, and a screen that appeared under an archway that they projected animated clips on from the towers and the buildings on Main Street. Other than that, this was simply a nice stage with some twinkling lights and a very long, drawn-out dance number. No one left humming the tunes, no one left with an amazed look on their faces that you see from spectators at Fantasmic, no one seemed to leave satisfied. Afterwards, cast members were on hand in front of City Hall and handled guest complaints. I stayed around for a bit and overheard many of them, and Disney's best response was that the young kids seemed to enjoy it. These would be the same young kids that probably also enjoy Barney, right? Disneyland is supposed to be a place for parents and their children to have fun. Inside City Hall, Disneyland was giving refunds to a long list of people. And this is a shame since there was a lot more going on in the park other than the parade that was well worth the $25. 
Hopefully they can resolve things before it gets officially unveiled. In the meantime, don't make any special trips just for this show, or do and see for yourself, then write your own review, and I will make a link to it from this one. In the event that it does turn out to be a great thing when it's done, I'm glad I got to see its staggering beginnings. If it doesn't, well, I can understand why. I was amused to find that I wasn't the only one calling it light tragic. So there you go. One Man's View of Light Magic, one of the shortest-lived shows in Disneyland history. Digital cameras were still pretty rare back then, so there aren't a lot of photos on the net and even less video. I have a small gallery of pictures I took that night, during, uh, and also during one other trip I made during the summer. And if you visit yesterland.com, you can find a page that talks about light magic. It even includes a few of my photos. And looking at them now makes me remember another aspect of light magic I'd forgotten about, and that was all the confetti. Oh, man, you have no idea how much confetti Disney can use when they really put their mind to it. I haven't seen anything in the past ten years that even comes close. That could be a podcast of its very own. I even had a directory in one of my uh, Disneyland galleries uh, about the same time that was just called Confetti, and it was pictures of the confetti that was all over the park. I mean, you'd be on the train going all the way around the back, and there'd be confetti in the woods. Well... I'm sorry I don't have anything else to add about this show, but if you drop by horseandrabbit.com, you can view a neat little edited version of Light Magic that uses footage from the Light Magic TV special that aired on California. Of course, everything looks good on TV. So, the next time you're in the park, take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you never know when something you like, love, or hate, or another Light Magic, might go away and never be back again. And on that note, that'll do it for me this time. Be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can see uh, tons of pictures, including some from Light Magic. And by the way, I've just been regenerating the gallery. I have over 20,000 photos just from Disneyland alone. That's the first time the gallery has fully been regenerated to th since uh, 2002. So you can go there, check out the new uh, Disneyland gallery. It's still a work in progress, but I think all the pictures are there now. And also you can download some videos, nothing from Light Magic. And um, I guess that's it. Be sure to drop by another crappy podcast.com. There's a place where you can put your pin on the map and show the world where you listen to this podcast from. We've got uh, about eight people on it right now, but there's room for a thousand. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 22, Light Magic. Thanks for listening. Another crappy podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. Man, that looping music's a little annoying. I, I'm only doing this so I can have a little more room to talk at the end. Uh, uh, Dream Our Dreams, MIDI arranged by Scott Leonard, remixed by me, Funky. In fact, if you want to hear the whole thing, uh, I'll put it on after the end. Be sure to visit horseandrabbit.com as well so you can uh, learn more about the guy that made the MIDI file that I slaughtered and also uh, see those videos. I guess that's pretty much it now. I'm going to figure out how to start the... Um, the real music here so uh, have a good day everybody i gotta go to work in the morning man
I hope I don't get sued.